becomes more and more encouraging in a world that seems to be without an anchor, that we're reminded that Christ is a sure and a steady anchor. It's pretty incredible to think about a world that so many people don't know where to turn, they don't know where to go. They're grasping at anything they can find that will somehow bring them peace, that will bring them some sort of uh, pleasure, but we're finding out, and even believers today, we certainly know this, that uh, there is nothing more secure and nothing more safe than Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, of course, as we, every week when we come together, we want to magnify Christ above all else. You know, one of man's greatest uh, problems is himself. <laughs> and um, I'm finding that out every day. I'm a big problem. And those problems cannot be covered. Uh, Christ sees them. Christ knows when I'm self-absorbed. He knows when I'm filled with something that shouldn't be there. And I'm so glad that he doesn't depend upon me to keep me saved because I would fail daily. Uh, That's why that song is such a great reminder. I think we just learned that song last week. So we've sang it three times this week, and it's every time we've sang it, it's gotten better. And uh, thankful for that. Uh, John chapter 4, again this morning, John chapter number 4. We're going to continue with our Lord's uh, conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. This woman has, we remember, had had come to the well to draw water as she would have done each and every day. This, however, was a different day. There was a divine appointment. Christ had made it an intent to go her way, to find himself, to be where she was. It was Christ seeking this woman out. And you'll recall that they had a conversation and the woman wanted to know, why would you speak to me, a Jew? You know Jews and Samaritans and the Jews especially have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why would you even be speaking to me? And of course, Jesus turns that conversation into a spiritual conversation and he begins to talk to her about not the water that's in the well, but he begins to talk about living water. But he's using the illustration of the well sitting right before her. And of course, her first reaction to it is, is she thinks Jesus is talking about some kind of physical water she could actually drink that she would never have to come back to this well again. Because remember, uh, this woman was not a perfect woman. And by the way, uh, none of us are. And none of us were. Uh, This woman, of course, Jesus puts his finger right on the fact and tells her that she's had five husbands. And really, he, he exposes her sin. But what a joy and what a wonder it is to see that even though Jesus exposed her sin, he didn't leave her. He didn't walk away from her and say, you're too too filled with sin for me to do anything with you. No, as a matter of fact, that opened up a greater conversation and Jesus begins to talk to her about worship. And we looked at this last week and what true worship is and how true worship that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is opening this woman's eyes. He's doing it in a way that's taking patience. He's forbearing with her. He's, he's not rushing her to simply say, hey, uh, now make a decision for me right now. Make a decision for me right now. What's happening is he's opening her eyes to where he never has to use the words, make a decision for me. Her eyes are opened and she sees it. In verse 25, we're going to read down through verse 30 this morning. I want you to notice that this woman's tone has changed quite a bit from the beginning of the conversation. Look at at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, 
which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot. This is, this is a, a profound statement. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? This woman, remember, one of her confusions was about where true worship took place. Remember, she had the conversation with Jesus. We looked at this last week where she said, our fathers, the Samaritans' fathers, we worshiped in the mountain that they were standing upon. But she says to Jesus, but you worship in Jerusalem. Notice what's happening to this woman. This woman had been all mixed up with all sorts of religions, all sorts of ways. What was right? What was wrong? But notice she was most impressed with the coming of Messiah. It is the notice of the Messiah coming that now she comes to this conclusion. She says, here's what I do know, that Jesus or the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll be called the Christ and he will do something. He will tell us all things. Now remember, Jesus is standing here before this woman this woman now, her eyes are being opened. She's getting brought to the place now where this extraordinary change is going to take place in this woman's life. This day will be unlike any other day this woman's ever had in her entire life. Something she did every single day going to this well, this would never be a day that would ever be the same. And by the way, the day that your eyes were truly open to the gospel, when your eyes were truly open to your sin and truly open to the reality that you couldn't save yourself and that Jesus Christ had to make you willing and had to give you the gift of faith, had to give you the gift of repentance, the day when that happened became a day you will never, ever forget. Because Jesus did something extraordinary in your life. Not extraordinary just to benefit for the day. Extraordinary eternally. Spiritually, eyes that were once blinded are now seeing clearly. Now, what's interesting about this woman's words is she appears to still be a little bit apprehensive. And I'm going to try to dispel that today because she's kind of asking things in the form of a question when she says there at the end of verse number 30 or verse 29, is not this the Christ? She's not saying this in a means that is, I don't believe this is the Christ, or I'm questioning this is the Christ. I want you to see, we're going to look at how Jesus uses each one of these steps, and her eyes are more and more opened. She's speaking as a woman who believes that that coming of Messiah must be very close. She's speaking as a woman who says, I know, look what she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah cometh. I know he's coming. I know we've been told, even as Samaritans, we've been told to look for this man. We've been told to look for the person who would be known as Christ. And I love what Jesus tells her in verse 26. He says, I that speak unto thee am he. I am that Messiah that you know is coming. I am that Messiah that you are aware of. I am he. Notice that this expectation of this woman, understand in that day and age, it wasn't just this woman expecting a Messiah. 
He had been prophesied for years and years and years that a Messiah was going to come. In general, most people, Jews, were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. They were looking for He which was promised to come. There was a general knowledge of this. There was an understanding of this. But this woman, though she's a Samaritan, she knew He was coming. She knew He was coming. And I think she even knew now was the time to expect Him. She's not taken off guard by the fact that Jesus announces to this woman, I am the Messiah that's been prophesied about. I am the one. You'll notice that it doesn't result in her turning her back. It results in her, look what it says in verse number 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. She went out and told other people about the Messiah and other people listened to her and they came to where he was. She believed what Jesus was saying, that this is the Messiah, come see him. But I want you to notice that this woman had been driven to this point, every false thing that had held her in check. Remember, she went to the well in shame. She would go at the noonday when no other women were there drawing water. Why? Because everybody in town knew who this woman was. She had a sinful past. She had a sinful present even. Understand something, this woman's day has gone from a day of shame to now a day of she's now declaring, I have found the Messiah. This is he. This is this Jesus that we've heard about. Well, what was the work of Jesus? What is the work of the Messiah? A Messiah is a Savior. What is His work? What is His office? He is to be apprehended and believed to be exactly who He said He is. Today, if you're a child of God, it is because you have completely believed and acknowledged that Jesus Christ is exactly who the Bible declares that He is. From point A to point B, from point A to point Z. He is the Messiah. There is none other. We're not looking for another Messiah. We're not looking for another person to come. We're not looking for an addendum to the Bible. We've already have the completed copy of everything God wants us to know. As we say here almost every week, this book is a book about the Messiah. It's a book about the coming of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the re revealing of Jesus Christ who would come. This woman, the Bible says, she even knew what to expect. Not only is I know that he's coming, which is called the Christ, but here's what she says, when he has come, he will tell us all things. She even knew that when this man, Messiah, comes, he's going to tell us all things. Now, isn't it interesting? Remember a couple weeks ago when he put his finger on her sin? He knew about her five husbands. He knew about her sin. She didn't confess to him. She didn't say, uh, Lord, uh, I, I've, got, I, I've got this sin in my life. No, Jesus is the one that says, I, you have, he said, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. And remember her first response to Jesus' omniscience. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, a prophet is just one cent of God, but her first recognition was not Jesus is the Messiah. Her first recognition was, I perceive you're a prophet. A prophet was sent of God. Guess what the Messiah is? Messiah is God. She's gone from believing that there is a prophet who is sent of God coming to now God is being sent. 
When he's come, he will tell us all things. Notice that Jesus openly confessed. He tells her, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He has no problem acknowledging that he is exactly the promised Messiah. He is exactly what was promised. Remember all the way back in John chapter number one, when about the the story about Andrew and Simon Peter's brother, and the verse said this, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. This is a similar situation here. Here this woman is going to respond by saying, we have found him, I found him. I found the Messiah. What an amazing conversation this must have been. The Lord Jesus, the promised and true Messiah, being called and sent by God to be the great prophet, we'll use that terminology, has fully and perfectly revealed all things necessary. Today, in this book, this book about Christ, this book about God, all things needed and necessary for salvation is contained in this word. Jesus Christ declared, I am the word. We don't have Jesus' bodily presence now, but we have his word. Everything man needs to know about sin, redemption, about the Messiah is in this book. What does this world need? It needs this book. It needs the Messiah of this book, the Christ of this book. The Lord Jesus has come to fully reveal all things. Over in John 15, 15, the Bible says, For all things that I have heard of the Father, I have made known unto you. This was Jesus' own words. What an amazing thought. Christ is freely and fully revealing himself to this woman. Do you notice that he's not keeping anything back from her? You know, often we've said, and people have falsely said, that I have a hard time believing in the preaching and the doctrines of grace because that means Christ will turn someone away. You understand Christ has never turned a single sinner away who has come to him in faith. Jesus Christ has never told a sinner who was after and was there and standing before him, no, you can't be saved. That's never happened. Don't believe the false doctrine that tells us, well, Jesus, that means Jesus turns people away. Jesus never turns away those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, and those who are knocking at the door. That's an amazing thing about God. It's not about what Jesus is, it's not about what this woman has done, it's what Jesus has done for this woman. I hate to say it. I think it's true. It may not be true for you. I think if we'd had this divine appointment with this woman, I think we'd all have an opinion of what we thought of her. I would go one step further. If a woman was known around town who was known to be uh, quite sinful, was to happen to walk in the front doors of our church, and we knew about this woman's reputation, I dare say we would all have a, a little bit of hesitancy about how we're going to deal with her. We shouldn't. Paul read that, those passages in James chapter 2 about no respect of persons. 
You understand, Jesus is just giving, he is the Savior, but he's also given us an example of how we ought to treat people. It's so easy to look at other people's sin. It's so easy to look at other people's problems in their life and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not as big of a mess as you are. Right? Yes, I am that big of a mess. I've figured out people learn how to hide their messes better. I know how to keep you from knowing everything I want you to know about me. You can't hide it from the Lord. He knew everything about this woman and he still is talking with her. He's still speaking with her. He has not turned her away. Matter of fact, he's fully revealed himself to a woman who right now is still in known sin. What an amazing thought. Now, she's going to be changed. She's not going to be the same woman. As a matter of fact, we're going to take a little break from her next week, but then it's going to pick up again, and we're going to find out this woman is still in the picture. I speak unto, I that speak unto thee am he. He tells her plainly. Now, over in John 10, 24, you don't have to turn there, but here's John 10 is that uh, lightning rod chapter in the book of John that so many people want to avoid because they're afraid of what it means. But John 10, 24, the Jews come to Jesus in verse 24, and it says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, remember what the woman just said. He will tell us all things. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. Believe not what? The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now here's where, sadly, lots of preachers like to jump right over this. And I give unto thee unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Who's giving eternal life? Jesus is giving it. He's giving it clearly, and he says to the Jews, remember, the Jews, they say, tell us plainly. He says, I have told you, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. Understand something, and then that's when he says, my sheep hear my voice. Don't buy the lie that goats become sheep and sheep become goats. It's never happened in a barnyard. It's not going to happen in eternity. You go out to a field, you go out to a farm where you see sheep, they're going to stay sheep. They're never going to be a goat, and the goats aren't going to turn into a sheep. It's not going to happen. You say, I don't like what that means, preacher. That's just, that's just nature. That's the laws of nature right there. But when it gets into the spiritual realm and we see somebody say, the sheep hear my voice. You're not of my sheep. That's why you don't hear me. Well, preacher, I don't like what that implies. I've told some of you, I didn't like what it implied the first time I read it either. And I ran and ran and ran and ran because I didn't like what it was telling me. But I realized... It's not about what it's telling me. It's about what Jesus Christ is speaking to me about. He's speaking to me about my need of him. And apart from him, I have no hope. Who can I give the glory for my salvation? To me? No. All glory has to go to God. 
I have no, I have no place to boast. We're talking about in Romans. I have nowhere to boast. This woman is never going to have a single thing to boast about. She has, what, what could she offer Jesus, or what could she even offer us today? Here's the proof that I saved myself. She has nothing. I love the fact that the Bible says she left her water pot. She left the entire reason that she'd come to that well in the first place. She's gone from believing, first of all, that that water that he was talking about, that living water, was just going to be water that would not make her thirsty physically anymore. She realizes something. What I need is much more important than even physical water that's in that well. I need the living water that only Christ can give. Jesus makes himself plainly known to her, but yet he continues to allow the Jews' eyes to be blinded back there in John chapter number 10. What's he discerning in this woman? Well, I think she's now become, she's humble. You know, a lot of times when someone else points out the sin in someone else's life, it's not humility that comes out. It's usually rage. I don't want it. Don't tell me about my sin. He put his finger on her sin, told her she had some problems, and yet now she appears to be, she's humble to the reality that this is not just a prophet. This is the Messiah himself. The Lord Jesus delights, folks, to reveal himself. He delights in making known his mind, making known his will. He loves the fact today that if you have a desire to know him, but he also knows and delights in the fact that we have a, a duty to follow him. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. This is not some interaction or transaction that takes place in a moment in time and then you go and you follow wherever you want to follow. It should lead to a change in your direction. You should go a different way than you were once going before your eyes were open to the reality. My sheep follow me. This woman is going to be a follower of Christ. Although after this chapter, I'm, I don't believe we hear from her again. But look again at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples. We half joke about the disciples often because we're always pointing out their faults, right? Especially Peter. Peter was always the one who was the first to step up, said, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'll never deny you. We have the disciples that were called the sons of thunder that wanted to call down fire for, and just destroy all of the wicked people. The disciples, uh, they, were, they were a little bit of, a, of a loose cannons. I relate to the disciples. I truly do. You know, we've all had times and the wickedness in the moment and wickedness going on, and we've said, God, if you could uh, see fit, just burn them all up. Say, Preacher, I don't pray that way. You've thought it. Just take away all the evil out of the world. Why does it even have to be here? These disciples, now the reason I'm pointing this out is because many, many times when the disciples would come up upon a conversation that Jesus was having, they would ask the very questions. Why are you talking with her? They almost had this arrogance about them that said, Jesus, why are you wasting your time with these people? And I can tell you something. These disciples would have realized she was a Samaritan and they would have had full ground to look at this and say, Jesus, why are you talking to a Samaritan? 
But notice this time, the Bible says that upon this, that's the conversation, came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Now, see, this marveled, they're still, they still are asking the questions, but here's the difference. They keep their mouths shut. They don't question Jesus at this moment. They don't ask him to say, what speak is that? Look what it says. They marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seek is thou or why talkest thou with her? Now, go one step further. In Jewish law, it was a law or a rule that a rabbi, now get this, that a rabbi would never speak, not with a Samaritan, but would never speak with a woman in the streets. The disciples knew all about this, and they're, remark- they're, re- they're, they're marveling at this, but they're not saying anything. <laughs> they don't dare say anything. Folks, remember, this whole conversation happened by the providence of God. God ordered all of this, okay? God didn't just happen upon the well when she was there. God went and God had needs. I must needs go through Samaria. His must needs was to go because one of his sheep was at the well. He went to where she was. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't coincidence. Those, there's no such thing. It's a divine appointment. But yet here, as we see this all unfolding, the disciples didn't return to Christ literally almost until he was done speaking with her. The disciples didn't come to break the meeting off. They didn't interrupt it. Christ had already made himself known to this woman as the Messiah. The behavior of the disciples simply is this. They find him preaching a sermon to a single woman. And they marvel at it. Folks, there's such a great desire today that I just, I want to have a a grand influence for God I want, to, I want to influence thousands of people at a time. Jesus gives us an example of him speaking with one woman at a time. Folks, there's always going to be a lot of glory in preachers preaching to large crowds. And I'm not saying it's wrong. God's used, God's used men in years past to preach to large crowds. And many people have been converted because of that. But understand something. Don't lose sight of the fact that in our day-to-day lives... This is more likely going to be your interactions. You're going to deal with somebody one-on-one. You're going to deal with somebody uh, in a, in a, uh, a single, on a single basis. And by the way, the doctrines of grace do not excuse you from telling other people about the gospel. That's not your job. It's not your job to say who deserves to hear and who doesn't deserve to hear. Your job is to go out and to tell every single person you come in contact with about who Jesus is, about the Messiah. That's what our job is. We're to simply point people to Christ. Remember when we studied the life of John the Baptist? John the Baptist had his own following. He didn't do it intentionally. They thought he was the Messiah. Folks, we're not in this to try to gain a following. We're in in this to simply point people to the Messiah. Do you actually believe that he is who he says he is? That's what's happening here no man asked think about this this morning folks 
I think we've lost sight of this because we don't actually see Jesus face to face the way this woman did. Do you realize that in order for you to be saved today, in order for you to even claim to be one of his own, that Jesus Christ had to condescend and come to where you are? He had to humble himself and become obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And yet, sometimes I think we forget about the humility that Jesus Christ one day came to us and we were just as poor, just as deep in sin as this woman at the well. Catalog of sins God's not concerned about. We catalog them. In other words, we're the ones that are concerned about who the really bad people are. And somehow in our mind's eye, we think, I've still got something in me that's good enough to make Christ come to me. You have nothing to make Christ come to you. He comes to you, and it is his prerogative to come to you. It is his prerogative to open the eyes or to shut the eyes. God doesn't say, can I open these, this group's eyes and close this group's eyes? He determines whose eyes he opens and whose eyes he closes. He determines whose heart that he hardens and whose heart that he opens. That's the God of the Bible. And that's a God that we know is a God that is, a God is in control. They were silent. You can't, can't help but stop and admire what's happening here. You can't help but stop and wonder what a, what a scene this must have been. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. This behavior of this woman after this divine appointment is over, she leaves the water pot. She quickly goes and she goes and she invites and calls everybody she can see to come to Christ. You notice Jesus never told her to do that? Jesus never said to her, now the first thing you do on the first step in the Christian life is go tell someone else. He didn't have to tell her. Now think about that for a moment. He didn't have to tell her, hey, if you, if you preach and, and talk to 10 people, there'll be a prize waiting when you get back. She didn't even have to ask a question. She leaves this divine face-to-face point with Jesus Christ. She's standing before the Messiah, and she leaves him, leaves her water pot, and goes to the city and starts pointing people, saying, hey, come here, I found him. I found the Messiah. You see, those who truly know Christ, those who truly have tasted in his grace, they've truly tasted his mercy. They have found their complete and full satisfaction. Their thirst has truly been quenched. They will bring others or point others because they say, I have a saving acquaintance with him. Come and see this Messiah for yourself. We have, we've turned our church and churches into come and attend our church instead of saying, come to the Messiah, okay? We're not selling a product. We're not selling a church. 
We're not saying our church is better than your church, our church is nicer than your church. We're supposed to be saying we're pointing people to Christ. And if the building that we meet in is the building in which God allows us to be used for that purpose, then praise the Lord. But if he says, you don't need that building, well, we know we're still a church. And the church's responsibility is to point people to Christ, not to gain a following like a social network, right? That's not what this is about. This woman, look what it says and how simple this is. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. By her own words, back in verse 25, she had said, the Messiah who's called Christ, he will tell us all things. Now, did Jesus at that moment, I read one commentator, said, now wait a minute. He didn't tell her everything. It's kind of one of those technicality things, right? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't go down her whole life story and tell her everything she'd ever done. And... But what did he do? He told her everything she needed to know about who he is. You notice there was no, there's no real theology here. There's no real in-depth of God's providence. There's no in-depth of God's sovereignty. There's nothing about, really, there's not, the words grace isn't being used. Regeneration is not being used. Predestination is not being used. Foreordains not being used. But yet, Jesus told her all that she needed to know. And by the way, all those things were involved. Before she goes and tells people to come and see the Messiah, she didn't have to say, listen, I've got to figure out what's the exact definition of to be preordained. What's the exact definition of the depravity of man? What, what is it? Folks, sometimes we're hiding behind our theology. And we're saying, we're hiding behind theology instead of saying simply, hey, come see. Come see the Messiah. Come see the Christ. We're afraid to have conversations with people because we're afraid they're going to get too theological for us. Theology is important. By the way, you should know your theology, you should know your doctrine. As a child of God, you should be growing more and more and more in your doctrine and your knowledge of this book. But that's not the prerequisite to go and tell someone, hey, come and see. Come and see the Messiah who's met with me. Quite remarkable. This, from the woman leaving her water pot behind her, she runs to the city. Folks, there's something about once a thirsty soul has tasted the living water, there's something that ought to happen. There really is something. That, and it ought not be something you've got to twist people's arms with. You know, for years and years and years, we've tried to turn the Christian life into who can twist the arm the right way to get conformity and get people to do the right thing and act the right way and do the right things. Can I tell you, none of that works. None of it works. I've told you oftentimes, I used every gimmick in the book when I was working with teenagers. I worked, I worked every gimmick in the book. I tried them all. None of it worked. But you know what happens? You do it the world's way, it's not enough. Got to be more, got to be more. You got you, you to you be like them to get them. No, you don't. Our example is Christ. Our example is not trying to use a worldly system and try to squeeze it into a church mold and say, hey, look what God's doing. Just preach Christ and preach him every time the word is opened. 
Preach Him when you're preaching in the Old Testament. Preach Him when you're preaching in the New Testament. Preach Him in every counseling session. You know what the great, greatest counsel you can give to a husband and wife? Christ. The greatest counsel you can give to a family who's struggling with their kids? Christ. Not a pamphlet. Why? Because Christ is the satisfaction and is sufficient for all things. That's, that's what this woman has found. He's my sufficiency. She speaks and she's moved by the reality the Messiah is coming to himself, has come for her. She's satisfied that if she could only persuade them to seek. Now, that's why I brought you this question. She said, is not this the Christ? She's not saying with doubt in her mind, hey, I think this is the Christ. She's telling them, come for yourself and see if this is not the Christ. That doesn't seem persuading enough. I think she was persuasive. She's persuasive because the Bible says, then they went out of the city and came unto him. So what did she say? Come see a man. Here was her, here was her invitation. Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Come and see for yourself. Is this he? Today, it's an amazing thing that there are people all over this world who say that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And yet, proof is all through this book that there's no other conclusion you can come to. He has to be the Messiah. He has fulfilled every prophecy. This woman who was at the well in shame is now has a zeal. She has a desire to go out and tell people about Christ. Remember, her reputation's still there. You think the Apostle Paul, the first time he preached, you read your Bible, you find out that everybody said, hey, Paul, what a transformation. No, they said, this is the guy that was killing Christians, and now listen to him. Paul didn't let his reputation, prior reputation, stop him from preaching the gospel. People do it today. I can't. People know about my past. My past is, is, too, is too shady. Oh, welcome to the club. Folks, before Christ, we all had a very shady past. You, you are, you know, there's a, there's a fine line between glory and your sin. You know, telling people all about the sordid details of your past. You don't have to do that. Why? Because Christ already knows them. And if Christ has forgiven your sins and he has accepted you in the beloved, let me ask you a question. Do I have a right as another mere sinner to look at you and say, I'm not going to forgive you? No. no, I don't. I have no right to do that. If Christ has forgiven you, I have an obligation to forgive. This woman's sins are being forgiven. We see the same woman at the well that's now kindled by a zeal for God. She's magnifying the name of Christ. Folks, even in the simple words by this woman saying, is this not the Christ, would have been lightning rod words in her day. Because she's acknowledging something that many other Jews failed to believe. This woman who came to draw water, that water that was there, that meeting at the well, she's now tasted living water. She forgets both the water that was in that well and her water pot, and she points everything she's got to pointing people to Christ. I like that phrase, and they went out of the city and came unto him. Our business, folks, in witnessing and evangelizing 
is to simply point them to Christ. They've got to come for themselves. And you say, preacher, what about, my, what about my loved ones who don't want anything to do with God? What about my family who doesn't want anything to do with God? All you can do is point them to say, come and see for yourself. I can't twist. I can't make. I, I mean, people say all the time, preacher, can you talk to my, can you talk to my loved one? You realize no amount of theological knowledge is going to open those eyes unless the Holy Spirit does it. I've talked with people repeatedly who don't want anything to do with the Lord. People that other people have tried for years and they want nothing to do with it. But guess what? When the Lord opens the eyes, their testimony will be something like that. It was the Lord came to me and my eyes were opened. The problem is it's never on our timing. It's not when we wanted it to happen. That's the hard part about it. Evidently, she must have been a persuasive woman in the, what she said because they went out of the city and they came to him. The moment this woman expressed any sort of understanding, Jesus responded by saying, I'm he. I'm he. Folks, once there's a perception and a reality of who Christ is, once he's fully revealed himself and he's made himself known to you, the response of his sheep will always be to acknowledge it and receive it. You don't have to ask one of his sheep, are you sure? Okay? This is one of the hardest concepts that when my eyes got opened to all of this, I didn't grow up around this, folks, and some of you have told this. This is not my testimony. I grew up in... 100% coming to Christ by your 100% free will. And that, that's what I grew up in. That's what I knew. But it's not until you come to the realization that with his sheep, those eyes, they're going to come. All that the Father hath given me shall come unto me. This woman, obviously, was one of his sheep. But you know what? She acknowledged it through the truth that was being spoken. She acknowledged he's the Messiah. She acknowledged what he would do. She acknowledged now was about the time when he should be coming based on the prophecies that we've heard. And she received him. She fully believed. She found him exactly what he claimed to be. She wanted other people to know him. Folks, I am more concerned about people knowing Christ than I ever will be and you've heard me say this, than I ever will be about filling a building. But guess what? As people know Christ and as people desire to know him, God himself has said, I will build my church. I will do it. You just point them. You just preach my word. You don't need gimmicks. You don't need just preach my word. Come and see Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ?